Welcome to the Guernsey Daily. I'm Ollie Gu. And I'm Rob Byrne. We're building up to Guernsey's election with candidate interviews every weekday. Apart from yesterday. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. And a taste of what's going on out on the election trail. We're hoping to be around longer than an Yvonne Burford election poster. And we still haven't caught the phantom poster stealer, have we? No, they're still at large. And we want to be as polished looking as Deputy Jonathan Latoc's head. Now, he does use the bald man emoji, so I don't think he'll mind that one off. You don't think he'll mind, that's good. <laughs> um, coming up on Thursday's episode, we're looking into an investment fund created by Guernsey States that the island's chief minister has himself invested in. That's along with tens of millions in taxpayers' money being committed to mostly unknown local businesses. But our main guest today is Mark Hellier. He made his name as an advocate and before that worked as a sea fisheries officer. Um, the reason I'm standing, um, <laughs> the honest reason, is that I, I'm, I'm fed up with moaning about it. I think, you know, I really, someone with my background and skills it really doesn't deserve to complain about it. You should get involved if you want to see things done better. More from Mark shortly. So, Rob, there's been a lot of talk among candidates about Guernsey's economic recovery and investing locally. So what have you been looking into? Yeah, so I thought it was worth looking into an existing state's initiative to do just that. It's called the Guernsey Investment Fund. And to be honest, the more I've looked into it and the lack of information that's publicly available, the more curious I've become. Uh, With the exception of one company, we don't know which firms it's been investing in. And other than Deputy Gavin St. Pierre, we don't know if any other politicians might have put their money in too. Okay, so it kind of rings a bell. I seem to remember there being some concerns raised in the States about this. But what do we know about the fund? Well, it was set up in late 2017 and is an initiative led by the state's senior committee, Policy and Resources, which is headed up by Deputy St. Pierre and Deputy Lyndon Trott, his vice president, who has, as you mentioned, answered some questions about the fund in the state. It's a partnership between the government as the main investor and the private sector to invest in local companies or in firms that will benefit the bailiwick in some way. In all, the States has committed £65 million, but the latest update at the end of last year shows that just over £14 million in taxpayers' money has been committed so far. That's all gone into firms in the technology and innovation sector. £25 million has been set aside for that part of the fund, and the remaining £40 million has been earmarked for investment in property. Hmm. And where does Deputy St Pierre come into this? Well, I was looking at all the current states members' declarations of interest, and they have to update those annually. The latest one of Deputy St. Pierre states that he has a beneficial interest in a shareholding in the Guernsey Investment Fund. So this is a government fund spearheaded by the committee he heads that he's also personally invested in. So we asked him about that stake. I am a uh, shareholder in the Guernsey Investment Fund, along, of course, with a number of other external uh, shareholders. Um, so there is nothing remarkable about that in the same sense that the states of Guernsey will own shares in all sorts of uh, investments, some of which I, I might also own, you know, whether they're publicly quoted. Uh, whether where they're publicly quoted. So it is a it is a matter of public fact. I have made it a matter of public uh, knowledge. There is uh, nothing remarkable about that. Deputy Gavin St. Pierre there, sorry about the audio quality, he he goes on to say that he has no influence over investment decisions and like the states of Guernsey insists, this is all very much an arm's length arrangement uh, despite it being created by the government. 
So, Rob, you also asked some questions of the states about the fund, and I think it's fair to say they um, basically didn't answer any of them. Why do you think that was the case? So this was a, an, an API request, which is the closest thing Guernsey has to a, a freedom of information request. Uh, I wanted to know whether there were any other deputies invested in the fund, when they invested, how much they invested, things like that. Uh, and I also uh, wanted to know which companies, local companies, benefited uh, from that investment and if deputies had interests in those as well. I requested the latest report detailing the financial performance of the fund and records of the meetings of the independent board that decides on where the money goes. Uh, in short, I was told I couldn't get any of that uh, and that was mainly because the fund was separate from the states of Guernsey, this arm's length arrangement I, I mentioned earlier and it, it, the states itself doesn't have information on shareholders or beneficial owners uh, of the firms that the fund's actually invested in. But I also asked Deputy St. Pierre whether he thought he personally benefited from pooling his own money with significant taxpayer investment in the fund. The size of the fund and its ability to invest, to make investments and the scale of the investments is dependent on uh, access to, to, to funds from all the investors. So in that sense, there is a co-dependency of all investors upon each other to enable fund managers to distribute investment and scale of investment. It's a, it's, a, it's a mutual relationship between investors where you know, nobody is better or worse off as a result of their participation with any other. Deputy Gavin St-Pierre there. Now, this is something we're keeping an eye on. If you've got any information on the Guernsey Investment Fund that you think it's in the public interest to know, please do get in touch. And technology permitting, we'll be hearing from Deputy Gavin St-Pierre in full on another episode of the Guernsey Daily as well. Up next, it's Mark Hellyer. He's the co-founder of the Guernsey Party and will be known to many in the island's finance and legal sectors. Mark, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself just to set the scene. Who is Mark Hellyer? I'm, uh, I'm 52. I'm a Guernseyman. I grew up in Guernsey where my uh, grandfathers were, one was a farmer and the other one was a grower. Um, in my early career, I was a civil servant. I worked at the state's water board, as it was then, and conducted the first uh, prosecutions for pollution in the island streams. And I moved from there to work for the Sea Fisheries Committee, where I was responsible for uh, fisheries enforcement in the early 90s until 1996. Uh, I gained an interest in the law legal profession um, as a result of doing that sort of work. And I joined a local firm in 1996 and then trained whilst I was working. I studied for a postgraduate degree and the English bar. And then I went off to France, became an advocate when I came back. And I've been working in the legal profession since then. Your manifesto, you tout your um, the fact that you uh, have no right to work or abode in the EU as well, so you're properly local. Yes, well, I don't have a particularly local-sounding name, but you don't have to go back very far before you start uh, finding Osiers and the Pages and other familiar names. Uh, there aren't very many, I understand. I'm not, I'm not even sure if we know how many there are, but um, yes, you have to go back more than two generations to have that qualification. It's interesting because that's something that's cropped up in terms of the, the localness of uh, candidates and getting that across to the electorate. A bit like you, I don't have a, a Guernsey, particularly Guernsey sounding surname. So people tend to assume that I'm not from there. Is that something you've, you know, you've clearly thought about or and your party? I mean, the Guernsey party as well. You, you're, you're trying to sort of emphasise your local roots. 
I think, I mean, from my perspective, yes, because it's something that people ask you. So it, it's important to just make it clear at the outset because some people do base their decisions on that. I don't think it's necessarily that relevant, but uh, a lot of people do put a lot of stock in it. From the party's perspective, really, it's got the name Guernsey in it because that's that's really what we care about. Am I right in saying that you really are the, the driving force behind the Guernsey party? Uh it was me, really, and Rick Lowe that started this off together. Rick, unfortunately, as you're probably aware, has had to um, withdraw his candidacy because he's unwell. But uh, yes, it was the two of us that started it together. So what was it that made you want to start it? What what was the catalyst? Well, I think this time in the election of island-wide candidates, the first thing is profile is incredibly difficult to build for individuals who are not standing deputies. And we could see that a party was a good platform from which to do that. But also... It was a way of showing people that you could get together a group of like-minded individuals, you could talk through policy, you could agree or disagree on, on elements of it, but you could demonstrate the ability to work together. And I think speaking to so many members of the public over the last few weeks, that's something that they really hold a lot of stock in. They want to see a new assembly that's much more collaborative in its approach, much more friendly to one another and tries to get results. And you don't feel that you can do that as an individual? Well, I think the problem is there is that you, you produce a manifesto, but if you're not working together with other people and in a group, you can't really achieve anything. Do you think that that might, though, perhaps create an oppositional nature where you almost have, say, the partnership of independence as a, you know, if, if you could anticipate a, a number of their candidates getting in and a number of candidates from the Guernsey party getting in, you almost have uh, a government and an opposition within parliament. Is that something you've considered? Well, it is a possible outcome, of course, but I I take real um, stock from the fact that there are so many things across not just the parties, but also individual candidates that we all agree on, that we all want to achieve. I mean, harbour development's a good example. Everybody says we want to develop the harbour, so um, we should take the things that we have in common and and work together to achieve those. We heard from our governance expert on the programme recently that uh, Guernsey's ability to move fast, uh, and maybe a a bit of a controversial uh, opinion, but its ability to move fast, particularly in light of COVID and its ability to lock down the island so that cases were kept to a minimum, um, was due in part because of the nature of the governmental setup with individual candidates uh, rather than party politics. Uh, So what would you say to, to the people who oppose the idea of having parties and there are many independents who say they strictly would never want to be a part of a party what what would you say to them well i would i would disagree with the first analysis that the reason that the the cca has been able to move forward is because it has draconian powers that replace the assembly um it, it doesn't really have anything to do with party politics i mean those who are afraid of it and i know there are people and i've spoken to a number of candidates about it there's really no need to to, to fear it because we have no first-past-the-pit system. We have no um, cabinet government. So there's no sort of patronage that requires you to vote in a particular way or you lose your job. Um, we have no intention of whipping people on, on specific things. What we want to do is try and work together. And that doesn't mean just between ourselves, but with, with other people as well. It's just really it's a platform to demonstrate where our politics are coming from and what we think our priorities should be. And can I pull you up on on something you said there? You, you, you say the CCA has draconian powers. I mean, can I infer from that that you think 
they've taken those powers too far, perhaps, in, in handling the coronavirus? No, I'm not, I'm not implying that at all. I think they've done a wonderful job. But the, the powers, effectively, the CCA replaces government and it can pass legislation on the hoof and sign it as it goes because that's what's necessary in a, in a public emergency situation. It does need to be reviewed by the states within 30 days in each case. But it can work much more collectively and much faster because you know there's much more power concentrated in a single space rather than across a whole group of committees. Okay, what do you mean by draconian then? Well, draconian in the sense that you know, it's, it's completely unprecedented to, to take the power to deprive people of their liberty and, and require them to stay at home. That is a draconian power by its nature. Okay, and on this issue of, of coronavirus, I'm, I'm just having a look at your uh, your manifesto in the combined booklet, which is funny enough dropped in my door about two hours ago. The coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, I don't see anywhere in your manifesto. In mine personally, no. The, yeah. the manifestos which the States has issued in the booklet that you've got are individual ones that our party manifesto is, uh, is available online and on, on uh, Facebook which is slightly different. Okay, and and you go on to talk about coronavirus in that, do you? Yes, I mean, there's there's a recovery from coronavirus section which deals mainly with economic and structural issues associated with that. But our view, and, and certainly my personal view, is that COVID is a, is a dynamic operational issue on which decisions are being made based on, you know, mainly on clinical advice. And that's not something that, that we're in a position to second guess i mean the situation's changed completely even since we were nominated for the election so it would be quite difficult to to write it down and keep it dynamic in real time what about uh you know i guess the economic challenge will be there and will be more severe depending on how long uh you know the pandemic lasts but guernsey is going to face uh some challenges in terms of uh, how it gets back on its feet do you have any ideas? I know that you, you know your manifesto. You talk about the sort of uh, genie coming out the bottle when it comes to increasing taxation. Now, clearly, the island will face economic headwinds and and has committed to uh, at least dipping into its reserves and potentially borrowing substantial amounts of money. Uh, how does the island recover economically from the coronavirus? Well, there's no one single silver bullet for this. It's, it, it has to be a range of uh, measures which are taken to improve economic performance. And a lot of the levers of the economy at the moment are held within different committees. So that's going to require a considerable amount of coordination after the election to ensure that the right things are being done in the right places. So, for example, the building industry at the moment has shrunk and significantly we'll see from the recent scrutiny uh, report on that mainly because of the infrastructure money's not being put into the economy so it, we couldn't immediately start a large infrastructure project tomorrow for example because there simply aren't the skilled workers there to do it so we're going to have to balance the need to let money into the economy against making sure that people have the right skill sets to be able to do things we'd like to see the implementation of broadband significantly accelerated there are 500 kilometers or so i understand of fiber already in the roads so the the completion of the work to join all that up together and get us connected is very important but you you can't bang nails in over the internet you need people actually physically doing work in order to do a lot of the infrastructure uh, projects which uh, the island needs so skills is going to be a key issue um, organisation across the states in terms of coordinating economic response as opposed to um, other areas of the state's work is really important. 
we'd like to see um, a review of all current projects. There, there are um, you know dozens of these that are slated for development. They need to be reconsidered, reprioritized. We need to make sure that there is a workforce there able to commit to doing those and to keep as much of the money that's paid into the system on the island as possible. You've gone from, uh, you know, you've had a fairly varied career, but obviously uh, known as an advocate more recently. Why have you decided to step away from that and, and take a venture into politics? Well, um, our administration business across eight to nine jurisdictions at the time was sold in 2016. And, and at that time, I stood down as a partner of, um, of the partnership in Guernsey when I've been the manager since for, for the previous 10 years. So I've been effectively semi-retired since then. And the reason I'm standing, um, <laughs> the honest reason is that I, I'm, I'm fed up with moaning about it. I think, it, you know, I, I really, someone with my background and skills it really doesn't deserve to complain about it. You should get involved if you want to see things done better. I guess what leads on from that is how confident are you that you can actually affect some kind of change within the current system of government? I, I'm really confident that we can make a change. And I think even if the only thing that we do is, is to help some kind of sort of cultural healing of the antagonism and difficulties that we see amongst individuals, if that's the only thing that we achieve as a result of setting a good example, then I think that will have been a, a major change. I think the feedback we're getting from the public during the campaign is that they really want to see everybody pulling together and moving forward in the, in the same direction. And I know that's the, the slogan of one of the other parties, but it, it applies <laughs> equally equally to, to all of the candidates in the election. Too often, and this is, this is something that I've heard a, a current sitting member say during a meeting, too often people stand in Guernsey elections because they don't like something rather than they want to achieve a particular policy. And I think this is the first opportunity the island has had to make a choice about, you know, the positivity of policy and what they want to see happening on their behalf. It's interesting to to hear you uh, always refer to, uh, well, you, you say we instead of I. Um, is a vote for Mark Hellyer worth anything if you're not voting for the rest of the party as well? I would hope so. Um, when I say we, it's because we've had conversations together about most of the issues I should think that you'll probably ask me questions about and, and, and reached a view on it. And I, I think that's just a really positive thing. It's something that we haven't seen really during the last term of government and possibly before that, because the numbers have been pretty much evenly split in one direction or another. And there's clearly, if you look at the voting records, you can see that there are well-established groups of people and, and they don't seem to have been able to, to break the deadlock between them that's necessary in order to make progress. In terms of those conversations, Mark, how did you go about uh, coming to the uh, the grouping that you eventually did? What sort of process did you follow to decide that these were the candidates you wanted to uh, put forward? Well, Rick and I decided, uh, and there were some other people involved at an earlier stage who, who have dropped out but are still supporting us. Uh, we decided this we'd go ahead and form the party and hope that people would come out of the uh, out of the ether, and that's exactly what happened. So uh, Simon Vermeulen and some of the other people that are members of the party had already been discussing the possibility of forming the party themselves. Um, once we'd announced that we'd formed the party, people came and asked if they could join. And that's simply, it's been all completely organic and not from very far back. I mean, we weren't planning this for very long before we actually did the formation. So um, we haven't had much of a run at it, but we've spent a lot of time talking about policy. And parties are obviously something new to Guernsey. The fact that you've even managed to agree 
policies is, is something of an achievement, uh, you know, compared to the Partnership of Independence, for example. Um, how do you get over this, this almost this distrust in Guernsey of parties and of something that's new? Because it's certainly something we've come across speaking to voters and speaking to candidates. Yes, and I mean, I think it, it goes back to trust, and and you're going to have to trust your candidates, whether they're in a party or whether they're individual. And so, what we've been saying to people is, you say you don't like parties, but then one of your major concerns is that nobody can agree with each other. And all we're doing is presenting to you a group of people that does agree about something, and has demonstrated the ability to be able to, you know, constructively disagree about things, but find a, a policy which represents effectively a compromise position. Because we don't all agree absolutely on everything that we've said in the manifesto but that is the position that we're happy to take at the moment and do you think that that argument has has been persuasive and has won voters around i, I think a lot of people that have, I mean, we've seen people that have just said we've got a hq in in town at the moment and so there are lots and lots of people dropping in all the time talking to candidates and a lot of people come in and ask to just to be persuaded as to you know what it means and i, I think the problem is it, it our constitution is not really that well understood by by many people in the public and so when they hear the word party they think of you know Jeremy Corbyn and and Boris Johnson bashing away at each other in government and that's not the way that our constitution works anyway so you won't ever see that happening even if parties did massively disagree with one another and it can be a positive force for good as I say if you use it to 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 plan ahead and to create a policy framework on which to work if you get into government. And how are you finding campaigning? I'm, I'm actually really enjoying it. I've, I've had a sore throat on a number of days just because I've literally been, you know, talking constantly all day to people that want to questions answered. Um, I was incredibly busy on Sunday at the Meet the Candidate event, literally six and a half hours, just nonstop all day. And there's a lot of interest. And I, I think it's, I think it's a good thing, you know, we're standing because we want to make a difference. We want to work more positively. And, uh, you know, if a few of us get in and we manage to, to achieve some of that, then that's a good thing for the island. One of the things that people, uh, some of our listeners have asked us is, would we consider doing a party uh, debate where we get a representative from the Guernsey Party, the Partnership of Independence and the Alliance Party together and we debate the issues. Is that something, I mean, obviously I appreciate you might have to speak to your colleagues within the party, but is that something you would consider doing? Absolutely, why not? Um, in fact, we have already done one of those uh, privately at, uh, at, at a place in town. The three, three representatives of the, of the parties were addressed with a series of um, questions and questions from, from the floor. So yes, we've already done that. How did you find that experience? It was uh, it was interesting. I, I mean, I I like to look at the areas where we agree rather than the areas where we don't. You know, and, and we're a party that's saying we don't want to raise taxes, but uh, you know, I've been saying to the public, and so have all of our members. You know, we cannot promise that that's going to be the case. We are in difficult economic circumstances, and there's still a huge amount of uncertainty about when COVID is going to go away and how much it's going to cost us to to um, keep the economy going in the meantime. So. We, we all need to be pragmatic as well as, you know, trying our best and earnestly to represent what we think should be the right thing to do. So I don't have any problem discussing that. And and, and we may all end up, having, we will all end up having to work together anyway, I hope. So um, it, we shouldn't be combative. We, we should be able to discuss the differences of opinion we have about these things without falling out. Mark Hellyer there. 
And before we go, I'll just want to talk about a topic that's come up on a previous episode. We heard from Josh Maxoni about experiencing racism. Well, there's a new survey out on racial equality in the islands. So this has been done by Island Global Research, and they've actually looked at racial equality, uh, not just in Guernsey, but in Jersey as well, across the Channel Islands, actually, I should say. And some of the headlines that have come out of it is basically just over half of people in the Channel Islands think that changes are still needed to give all racial and ethnic groups equal rights in the Channel Islands. Probably no surprise in Guernsey, considering equality legislation is still uh, to be fully implemented. Um, but also, uh, one of the talking points was among those who responded to the survey that were of black, Asian or multiple ethnicities or, or from another minority ethnic group, uh, 93% of them said a little, some or a great deal of racism exists in the Channel Islands. Of that, uh, you know, to what extent people thought racism existed in, in their island today, uh, just under half also said, and this is this is of all people, uh, said that uh, it exists to some extent. Probably not a massive surprise. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it kind of chimes a little bit with what Josh Maxoni was telling us. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think because it's just under half, it, it does that speak to maybe... I, I think the number, and I could be wrong, potentially could be higher if you were to ask people in say the US or the UK um, and is there a, a degree of um, people not not believing there to be a problem with racism you know 51% of people not feeling that way is is quite significant I'd say. Yeah I, I guess you know in a place that isn't as, as diverse as many places in the world if you don't personally experience it or you know your friends and family aren't uh, from a minority ethnic community, you might not be placed in a situation necessarily where uh, you you even see it, even if you're not personally affected by it. Um, although, interestingly, 16% of people, according to the survey, uh, said there was a great deal of racism in the Channel Islands uh, today, and 49% said uh, there was to some extent. So, it, clearly, it, it is something, it is an issue that's uh, still out there in, in the islands and um, certainly it's something we're seeing some candidates talking about on the election trail as well. Thanks for listening. Episodes three and four of our audio manifestos are now available for you to listen to. You can find it in the same place you found this episode of the Guernsey Daily. Remember, the full list of candidates is available on election2020.gg. To get in touch with the show, find us on Twitter at Guernsey Daily or email theguernseydaily at gmail.com. And we're also proud to be partnered with Guernsey Community Radio, where you can also hear us. Goodbye for now. Bye.